podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. You take a lot of belief out of a game like today when I think you know they needed six runs and over with five wickets in hand and, and were able to win quite comfortably. I mean, that's, you, you take a lot out of those sort of games as well. Look, I was sitting up there, and when I saw, when I saw him hit it and saw that it was Cottrell running around, I thought, oh, this, is, this will be six, but somehow, <laughs> somehow he managed to stick. The, it, actually, because I had a good angle on it, his, his arm was about two metres over the rope. He sort of caught it way behind him and then managed to balance up and not touch the rope. So it's, a, it's an amazing piece, piece of athleticism, but I, get, I think you get pretty used to seeing that from the West Indies. If anyone's going to catch that, it's going to be a West Indian probably doing something like that. Yeah, he stayed away from me so far, actually, tonight. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to sit with him yet. No, we'll, we'll be definitely be talking about that. I mean, that's... A big part of you know, even my role now, it's not. I'm not going to teach him how to play a cover drive or a pull shot, but I, I, I need to know what's going through his mind in moments like that. You know, what are you thinking about? What led to you thinking about playing a shot like that? Because if I can help in some way there, just to get him through a situation like that and give him something else to think about or something different to think about, then that's I think a huge part of coaching. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mensel, and that was Australian assistant coach. Ricky Ponting talking about the win against the West Indies, Sheldon Cottrell's catch and Usman Khawaja's dismissal. And I've tracked down Sam Landsberger, who is at the Oval, I believe, preparing for Australia v India. How are you, Sam? Very well, thank you, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. I am at the Oval. The groundsmen are right in front of me putting another lick of paint on the advertising signs. And behind them, David Warner is in the net having a bat. So the Aussies are Having a pretty light session. They obviously play India um, in about 24 hours from now. So they're lots of uh, banter, lots of chipper. They're up and about. It's uh, been a very, very impressive start to the tournament. Yeah, I hear you got good feedback from your appearance on the podcast last time. <laughs> I like that we, uh, we get the big items out of the way first. Yes, I had a few friends and, uh, and Twitter colleagues hit me up saying, that it was a very good listen. So I think all credit got to go to the host, undoubtedly, who's been carrying it for a long time and puts in a lot of hard work. So uh, all credit to you. Well done, Minnis. Yeah, you're too kind. Well, Sammy, let's yeah. get into it. We just heard Ricky Ponting talking about Sheldon Cottrell's one-handed screamer off Stephen Smith. You were at the ground. How good was it? Well, it was a little bit strange because from the press, I actually quite quite see that far. To the side, probably didn't have the uh, the best view of it live, but my goodness, the, the roar from the crowd, you're sort of behind a, a little bit of almost soundproof glass in some of these press, press boxes, but the sound from that catch certainly penetrated right through. It erupted like a football crowd, to be honest. It was uh, it was an amazing atmosphere at that time, and it was a huge wicket as well, because Steve Smith probably thought he'd hit another six, and he had to go back to the pavilion. And at that stage, we, we thought Australia probably didn't have enough on the board so it was a really big moment in the game I was I just staggered at the how we controlled ourselves I mean but running at that pace to, to not go over the line to, to stay balanced and then to so coolly complete the catch 
it was just a, a magical bit of play and one that we're seeing more and more in, in cricket, aren't we? It's a, it's a real highlight of the game and it gets the crowd involved, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Sergeant Sheldon Cottrell's work. I've seen him uh, playing in the CPL, good bowler, got the celebration going. So I think I've lined him up to come on the podcast after the World Cup. So I'll be <laughs> able to ask him about that catch. Now, I just want to... Th- talk about the victory against the West Indies because I think it's significant because Australia were 4 for 38, 5 for 79 and 6 for 147. And for me, it has shades of sort of 2003 against Pakistan in South Africa where uh, Australia was in trouble and Simons got us to that big score. So, you know, it just seems like Australia can pull something special out during World Cups. I think you're saying on. I think I, mean, I think we spoke before the tournament how there's almost a bit of a force field around Australia. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I think that's now something like 44 wins from their past 47 matches. They just don't lose World Cup games. So no matter what position they're in, there's always that self belief, and I think there's also a, an understanding from the from uh, the other team's point of view that we're not home here. I mean, we, you're never home against this great these great Australian teams. I mean. At 5 at 79, they were dead and buried. And then when West Indies were batting and then the run a ball with six overs to go, they were dead and buried again. So to, to pull it out of the five twice uh, in a matter of hours just shows you how much belief is in this group. And to get a win like that early in the tournament with, you know, Mitchell Stark having not played in quite some time and Steve Warner and David Warner, uh, Steve Smith and David Warner returning, I think the confidence for the whole group will just balloon. And if they can roll India at the Oval, all the, with India having, that means India would have lost the game. England's obviously already dropped the game. If they can roll India, I think they have, all the hype is going to be the Aussies when they head to Taunton the next day. Yeah, and for Nathan Coulter-Nile to hit 92 of 60 balls, which is basically his highest score in professional cricket, and for that to be the highest score by number eight in World Cup history, it just sort of continues Australia's World Cup folklore. Now, on the other side of things, there's a player in trouble, Usman Kawaja. We just heard Ricky Ponting say that he's concerned about uh, Usman's mindset and what led up to his dismissal. It is worrying him being struck in the head twice and then his, his shot to get out. Just before we get there, we'll I've got Pete Layla right next to me, passing on all these very best for you, Menace. But honestly, it's a, it's a really good point you make. I, I think what Ricky Ponding said, it was really revealing. I mean, he was really concerned about his thought process. What was going through his mind to, to, to back away like that? I mean, he'd obviously been softened up by one or two bounces. He, he copped the nasty one from Andre Russell in the practice game as well, which sent him to the hospital for scans. So, you know, how effective was he? You know, how, how, what was going through his mind to play that shot? It was a real dumb dismissal. And, so a play now that's missed out twice in the World Cup. Yes, it's been marked by wins, but with Sean Marsh in good form on the bench, averaging 55 for his past 17 ODIs and two centuries in England last year, the pressure is on Uzi. Uh, I think Justin Boomer might go after him a little bit tomorrow night again. He wouldn't want to fall into the same uh, mistake. And if he does for the third time in a row, I think it's very, very likely that we could see a change and we could see Sean Marsh Coming at number three, which he's batted beautifully at the park. I think he averages 45 at number three as well. So it certainly wouldn't be surprising to see Australia look to make a move. 
if Uzi does fail again. Yeah, because one of my things about Usman Khawaja is that he does go through these funks where he just looks terribly out of sorts and then it can turn around and all of a sudden he looks like the world's best batsman. So, you know, if he's going into one of those funks now, it couldn't it be at a worse time and that will open the door for Sean Marsh to come in. It's a really interesting one. Well, I was really interested in Mark Taylor's thoughts where he basically said if, if David Warner and and Aaron Finch get off to a flyer, and you know they, they can put on a hundred for the first stand. Do you really want Kawhi to come in at number three? The, the, the slower bowlers will be on. You know they, they could bog him down. That's probably not his strength. His average at number three does drop quite a bit. So if Australia does get off to a good start, would you rather a Steve Smith or a Sean Marsh coming in at number three? It's definitely one of the burning questions for Australia. They've got so much wild already, but that top order it just hasn't quite clicked. So, that is one question mark, which is bothering despite the the 2-0 start for the tournament. Is Pete Lawler still next year? He's right behind me, leering over. Does he have any more cricket administration scoops? <laughs> I think he's. Uh, I think he's drained the supply. Do you have any more administration scoops for Pete? <laughs> he's uh, gestured unkindly, but. Uh, We'll speak to the on-field men as know what that's what your list of want to hear want us to talk about. <laughs> All right, so how about Mitchell Stark? Five for 46 against the West Indies. Pat Cummins bowled exceptionally well, two for 41. Stark is now the fastest ever player to 150 ODI wickets. He looks in awesome form. Yeah, fastest to 150 ODI wickets. Nicknamed the float for Nathan Lyon. I think that means fastest left armour of all time, which is pretty funny. But it's actually a little bit of a pun because he's also the fastest bowler at the World Cup. We've, we've got some stats coming up in the Sunday here with someone say that Stark's average pace in the first two games is 142 Ks, which is a a clear number one. I think he might be, you know, one or one point five k's ahead of the next. So, and he's so Sammy, so Sammy, I've I've got those stats in front of me because the way the internet works is they've already put them out. So uh, you're right, Mitchell Stark top <laughs> one hundred and forty two, Lockie Ferguson one hundred and forty point four, and then Hamid Hassan from Afghanistan was the third. Jofra Archer from the West Indies just under a tick, under one hundred and thirty eight, and Pat Cummins one hundred and thirty six. Wow. So Stark's been awesome. There you go, and and the speed movement as well. I mean, he's he's getting the the, the most swing with a new ball out of any bowler. All these talk before the tournament that you know Justin Langer said there would be no swing. Pat Cummins said that all the data for the last twenty years is that it doesn't swing in England. Well, it's swinging for one bowler certainly, and that's Mitchell Stark, and that's a really dangerous sign because when you get to hoop him back in, he's almost unstoppable, and he, he's just built for World Cups. If he can go on and have a, a a really really big tournament, I think he'll become. Australia's second leading wicket taker at the World Cup behind Glenn McGrath. He's on track for that already in just his, his uh, second World Cup. So he, he really is etching himself in greatness at this tournament. A little bit of a way to go in 2019, but he's, he's on the way. And Pat Cummins, just sneaky fast. He just seems to do it so easy. He's always got a smile on his face, well, most of the time. So those two are just a one-two double act. I want to ask you about something you wrote about Marcus Stoinis. Uh, you've written some really interesting articles about him, one about his friendship with Virat Kohli and one about his thirst yeah. for knowledge. Can you just tell me a bit about both of those facets of the Stoin? Yeah, so the, the one with Virat, we'll start with first because they obviously do play in India tomorrow night. I was really surprised to learn this. That Virat Kohli's best mate in India, um, a fellow called Srihan, actually moved over to Australia when he was a a young teenager and went to the same high school as Marcus Stoinis. So they very quickly became best mates. And 
through that mutual friend, when Vera came over on the under-19s tour, Vera, Freehand and Marcus would go down to uh, Revo Sports in Perth, which is a cricket centre run by Noddy Holder, who is Marcus Joyneson's batting coach, was also Justin Langer's batting coach, and all have a hit together. So basically, since for about 10 or 11 years now, Marcus and Vera Coley have known each other, and they could not have more respect for each other. Marcus spoke really highly about uh, Vera and the legacy he wants to leave Indian cricket, um, about how you know his, his passion and energy for the contest is sometimes mistaken for aggression, but he's actually one of the, the, the nicest blokes you'd ever meet. So certainly a lot of mutual love there. Um, obviously teammates at RCB in the IPL this year, along with AB de Villiers. So it'll be interesting to see when they're on the field tomorrow night, whether they do interact, whether they do give each other a little pat on the back or a hard roll, whether it's uh, whether the enemy faces and the, uh, the, the battle faces are on. But I've certainly got a, a lot of respect for each other. And, and Marcus was great to speak to. He's just such a, a thoughtful young man. You, you can really see that he, he's just looking to learn at every opportunity. He, you know, he, he talks about scoring AB de, de Villiers to learn how to play a sweet shot off, off fast bowling. Um, he got Marcus to the linger, teaching that same sort of dipping slower ball after the practice game in in Southampton last month. And when Adam Zampa tapped Rashid Khan to go have a bowl after a big dash game in Maui this year. He even uh, walked along and shadowed them and stood behind them and, and listened to what they had to say. So he's just got a real thirst for, for knowledge. And I think that's why you've got so many people heaping praise on him. I mean, we know Shane Warne's wanted in to play for Australia in all three in the format for a long time. Ricky Ponting reckons he get that number three for Australia in ODI cricket. Um, everyone just sees that he's such a good package. And when you get to know him and you get to understand how dedicated he is, it, it's not hard to see why. It hasn't kicked for him yet with a bat. Uh, he bowled pretty well against the West Indies. His bowling's actually in, in pretty good nick, particularly at the death. Uh, I think he's just one innings away from really winning over the, the public and, and stamping himself, not only in his team, but also uh, in the World Cup. Yeah, I think him, Stoinis and Maxwell are combining really well as that fifth bowler. Mm. And what about Maxwell's catch against the West Indies? Running back, was it off Dre Russ or was it Holder? But, you know, running over his shoulder. Russell. Russell. Amazing catch. Underrated. I can say this because Pete Smith, I've just realised that my Marcus Stoinis answer was a bit of a, 45-minute monologue like he was saying the other day. So I'll try and keep him a little bit shorter. Apologies. <laughs> it's good to hear you listening. Um, so something that Ben Horn doesn't always do. Okay, uh, where was I? Sorry, I got distracted. Um, Alex Carey, I picked it in the last podcast, 45 or 55, a crucial partnership with Steve Smith. I thought really mature not from Alex Carey. Yeah, I really liked what Ricky Ponting said. How about the match awareness? I mean, here's a bloke that's played what? 15, 16 games of international cricket, and he comes in at what four, five for not many, and has the composure to say, "No, I'm just going to pace myself here." Uh, and he was, I think, three off 26 when the entire top order had gone out and played some pretty dumb cricket to, to go out, and he just said, "No, I'm going to take my time and, and get in and, and work my way into an inning." And my goodness, some of the strokes he played after that were sensational. You know, cover drives and cut shots that race to the rope, he looked really, really crisp. It was a little bit of a surprise when, when he got out when he did because he looked so good. So, look, after getting five dismissals in the first game and then a really, really important knock, it's been a, a very impressive start for probably a bit of an underrated player in the Australian lineup. All right, so <laughs> great stuff from the Carey. All good for Australia in the World Cup. So, Sammy, to end this chat, I just want to throw 
some quick issues at you, and I want your quick take on them from a man who's in England sure. on the ground. Firstly, was the umpiring that bad in that game versus the West Indies? I thought the technology worked well. I mean, the West Indies had reviews, and they used them wisely. I can understand their frustration. I think that Jason Holder and Carlos Brathwaite um, concern is that they, they think it's a trend. They think that decisions always go against them. There's no doubt Chris Gow was very unlucky. It should have been a free hit. That was a bad miss by the umpire when Stark wasn't king for, for, for overstepping in a big way. Uh, Matthew Hayden suggested that we should have front foot technology so the mistakes like that don't happen again. I tend to agree with him there. I don't understand how in 2019 we can keep missing such obvious no balls like that. So Chris Gale was unlucky. Outside of that, I thought the technology worked well. I think the West Indies gripes is more of a better is more about the uh, how they're treated in the long term, particularly when it comes to LBW dismissals. Carlos said that when the other team shouts, the finger goes straight up, and when they shout, the finger stays down, and that obviously hurts you when it does go to the review because so many times it comes back umpire's call. So I can understand their concern, but it didn't have a big bearing on the game. Number two, should South Africa have selected A.B. de Villiers, who made a, a last-ditch effort to play in the World Cup? Yes, 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 <clears throat> yes, definitely. I might be a little bit selfish here, but uh, how good would it be to watch A.B.? I mean, every South African game, there'd be that many more eyeballs on it. I'd, I'd certainly be rushing and tuning in if I was anywhere else. In the world, uh, it's easy to say when there's zero and three. If there were three zero, it might be a very different discussion. But you've got a once in a generation player like him, and he wants to play for you at a World Cup. Surely you make it happen, don't you? Yeah, I agree. I I just can't believe they didn't say yes. I can see why they didn't say yes, because maybe it would set a precedent. But yeah, I just would have said he's a legend. We're going to let him play. Next one Australia takes on India tomorrow. But when you're listening to this, it may have happened or may be about to happen. I think it could be a, a World Cup final preview. Agree or disagree? Oh, 100% agree. These are two of the heavyweights. In fact, this is the first heavyweight clash of the tournament. I, I think that most people believe that Australia, India and England will make the semifinals, that fourth place. Mate, hold your horses. England are in trouble. They, they might not make it. <laughs> well, I'll give up. I hope you're right there. But there's no doubt that this could be a preview of the final. And we're in London as well. And obviously not the, the, the final venue, which is the Lords or at the Oval tomorrow night, but no doubt it could be. Um, and there's a bit of a mental edge for Australia going in, having won that, that recent series after being 2-0 down. So I think all the pressure is sort of on India tomorrow night. And I can't wait. I mean, you know, just a boomer against Finch again. You know, Cummins and, and Zamper against Coley when they've had such good records. Smith and Warner back. Just how much do you reckon? How excited do you reckon Steve Smith is at, at, at facing India and Virat Kohli? You know, it's just going to be such an exciting contest, and there's no doubt this could be uh, the two teams that play off of the trophy. They're the, they're the only teams that have won a World Cup this century. Next question. MS Dhoni, there's been some trouble with him having a, a pseudo-military symbol on his glove. I mean, my worry is that this could get out of hand if the ICC is not firm on this. I'm going to have to defer to you a little bit here. I, I haven't been close following this as closely as others, but my, my understanding is it's pretty cut and dry. Um, MS Dhoni broke the rules. The rules are in place for a reason. Fix your gloves up. I think it's as simple as that. I don't know all the background about it, but I think every team agreed to the rules before the tournament that what MS displayed was, was out of bounds. Quite simple, isn't it? Rules and regulations are there to follow. We have to do them. So do you. Yeah, I agree. All right, Sammy. Well, I'm going to let you get back to your work reporting at the Oval uh, for News Corp. 
and uh, with Peter Lawler, of course. So listeners that can see all your stuff at your local paper's website, Herald Sun, Daily Telegraph, Courier Mail, all the best World Cup news. Sammy, say goodbye to Pete Lawler for me. Well, Derry, he departs for him tomorrow night, so we'll, we'll miss him on the tour. And hopefully the Aussies can send him off for a win and his favourite player, David Warner, can get in the runs again. Thanks, Sammy. Take care. We'll catch up next week. Thanks, man. That was Sam Landsberger there from the Herald Sun. And as I said, you can keep up with all his work online at the dailytelegraph.com.au. All right, so that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. I've been your host, Andrew Menzel. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of Sam Landsberger grilling Ricky Ponting in England overnight. That's it for this edition. I'll be back next week with another World Cup update. Last one, if I can. It, I know you said previously that there's so much data available, but you've seen these in guys day in, day out for the past couple of months. Do you, do, JL talks about gold, giving players gold nuggets. Do you go and speak to your guys individually? Hey, I know what you can do to this bloke or this bloke. Do you, do you take in a bit more knowledge in this game which you can help out with? I'm going to say I didn't learn anything about any of the Indian bats when I was at the IPL. Otherwise, I mightn't get a gig back there next year. Warnie <laughs> <laughs> will have me out of a job again like he tried to before this year's IPL. Um, no, absolutely. You know, I coached Rohit Sharma for a couple of years in Mumbai. You know, I've just had a few months with Shikhar and at, at Delhi. But I, I didn't learn anything about those guys from being with them than what I didn't know before, to be honest. I mean, I, I'm a pretty astute watcher of the game, I think. And, I, and certainly with batsmen, I sort of analyse um, why certain batsmen are good at hitting balls in different areas, you know, it's the way they pick up the bat, the way they hold the bat, their back lift, their foot movement, whatever it might be, so I don't think I've learnt any more about them having been a part of the IPL, it's a different format as well, obviously, but I think we saw yesterday, again, or a couple of days ago, how good Rohit Sharma is at the top of the order for them, he's a, he's a class player, so, and I'm not the only one, I mean, Steve Smith shared dressing with a lot of the players as well, so, it, you know, as a coach, yes, I can bring some stuff, but I think... A lot of the players in our team have played with these guys over with them and against them over the years. So if I can add a couple of gold nuggets, then uh, I'll try to do my best. How do you get rolled out? I'm not going to tell you that in here because you'll read about it in the paper tomorrow, won't you? <laughs> great to see our former GWS captain doing well at the World Cup. I'll just throw that in for you. Well, that's going out. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast Network.